You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 115. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week in our Your Stock Our Take segment, we take a look at Canadian Microcap Seacom Satellite Systems Inc., symbol CMI on the TSX Venture, a leading global provider of mobile auto deployed satellite antenna systems. A listener who made a great return on our recommendation on the stock in the past asks us our take on the stock today. Our second Your Stock Our Take is on a significantly larger business, U.S.-based Yeti Holdings, Inc., symbol Y-E-T-I on the New York Stock Exchange, a global designer, retailer, and distributor of premium outdoor products. The stock, which went public in October of 2018 at a price of $17, has seen its share price rise over 209% since this time. A listener asks us how the company's current valuations stack up to our models. Our third question came in on GFL Environmental Inc., symbol GFL on the TSX, a large-cap environmental services company in North America, which provides services such as non-hazardous solid waste management, infrastructure and soil remediation, and liquid waste management throughout Canada and into 23 states in the United States. A listener mentioned seeing a short report on this relatively newly listed public company and asks us our take on the stock from a fundamental perspective. Let's get into the show today. I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron. How are you two doing? I'm well. Good afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Doing well over here. Doing well. Enjoying the last parts of summer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, got a fishing trip uh, planned this weekend, actually. Going to go fishing with my dad. Looking forward to it. Yeah. He needs to teach me how to fillet a fish. You know, I'm getting to that age where uh, it, it's time to, you know, put the, the, the Boy Scout uh, the hat on and, uh, and, and learn, some, learn some things from him. So, uh, so I'm looking forward sounded to it. Like he said, it sounded like he said fill a fish, but I think he said fillet a fish. Fill right? it. Fill it. Fill yeah, it? Fill it. Can you fillet it or fill it? Um, well, I can do Ooh. neither. So I, I think Aaron just knows about the fillet of fish, and that's McDonald's. <laughs> so that's we lost yeah, him that's, at that's, a long that's time the only... on that issue. So your dad's going to show you, show you yes, how to. Yes. What are you yep. fishing for? Is it walleye? Um, yeah, it's walleye. So uh, nothing that you guys see over in Vancouver, no. but walleye. The chicken um, of the sea. Ma- you told me, right? Yes, yes. I was telling you that it is <laughs> of the sea. It, it walleye. Or of a lake. Well, yeah. of the lakes, I guess. Of the lakes. Of the lake. Yes. It's true. They don't um, have too many seas. No, it's delicious, though. Like, it's not fishy, which, uh, I mean, I don't mind a fishy fish, but walleye isn't a fishy fish, so it, it tastes chicken like chicken. of the lake, it's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's the chicken of the lake. Yeah, well, you got to bring some out. And you can have some salmon. We get sockeye salmon out here. You, you I do love I salmon. You gotta, I do love salmon. 
Not sockeye. that I've tried sockeye before. No, it's 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 a whole new experience. If you haven't had it, it's it's tremendous. Looking forward to it. And Brennan, you're talking about a company today that sells coolers. So yes, is this somehow related? your trip with your dad you know mm-hmm. you need a, a good beer cooler so you i mean there might be found a- there might be a yeti uh, koozie a yeti beer koozie on our trip you know keeping our uh, uh, our wobbly pops warm i mean cold <laughs> keeping them cold, warm, not warm. <laughs> and full disclosure full disclosure brennan is not working a side deal with the, with the company yeah he's yeah, trying he's not working no, a side deal for- <laughs> yeah he would like to no I'm, we're kidding so I, uh, the final thing I'll touch on, the Canucks, my Canucks, our Canucks out here, uh, round two of the playoffs, the only Canadian team to make it in. I'm not rubbing it in, but trust me, we don't have that much success out here. They evicted the reigning Stanley Cup champions from the bubble. So we got a day to celebrate. And uh, much as what, you know, typically what we expect in Canuck land, uh, the next day we had a rude awakening at the hand of the Vegas Golden Knights who trounced us 5 nothing. Game two is tonight, so putting some positive thoughts out there. Hopefully we can have a win tonight. That would be nice. Brennan, you wanted to take a stab at our intro topic this week. Uh, so have at it, my friend. Perfect. Yeah, I wanted to pose a question to you guys just for a good discussion. So... It's been just over six months since the COVID-19 pandemic has rocked the globalized world, causing one of the largest and fastest broad-based market sell-offs in history. And personally, to my surprise, we have experienced a rapid V-based recovery in the months following, with the S&P 500 now reaching an all-time record high, almost as if the COVID-19 pandemic wasn't a cause for concern. So the question that I want to pose for discussion is, are the markets showcasing economic reality? So first of all, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that I'm not fear-mongering. We have no idea if there will be another correction tomorrow or if this is the beginning of a new bull market that will last for the next five years. But what we do know is that at the current level, markets are relatively pricey. And this is not to say that there will not be money to be made in the stocks, but we as analysts and you as investors need to be more selective and cautious with your capital as you deploy it making sure you are investing in quality stocks that offer growth at a reasonable price, as it is here where there is money to be made. And it should serve as a uh, solid case study that after the 2008 financial crisis, Ryan and Aaron were able to uncover portfolio changing stocks for our clients. So let's take a look at what we know now that the markets are at all time highs. So many companies have begun to post uh, what management teams say are going to be their most effective quarters by COVID-19, which is Q2 of 2020. And we can tell you from our research that a lot of these financial results have been dismal, but many companies have also continued to post impressive results. One of these names from our coverage is Expel Inc., which Ryan touched on uh, as our star last week. So that's my first point, you know, just uh, quite a few companies have been posting uh, dismal financial results. So my next point here is bankruptcies have raged on in 2020. Uh, So we've seen a lot of prominent retail bankruptcies, including Pier 1 Imports, uh, Roots USA, JCPenney, uh, GNC, which is a supplement company. And we actually uh, posed this company as a concern in one of our past dog segments almost a year ago, uh, where we said, you know, we wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole and their debt was unsustainable. Um, So, you know, maybe given given ourselves a little pat on the back there that maybe we called that one. Uh, And, you know, another uh, big one recently in news was Lord and Taylor, which was actually the oldest U.S. department store, uh, which uh, just recently filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, You know, and I would imagine that there are more to come from these big names. 
But what about smaller private businesses that we do not have much data on? Well, Yelp, the online reviewer, is showing that over 80,000 businesses in the U.S. have shut their doors permanently between March 1st to July 25th. So as no surprise, most of these uh, companies are coming from the restaurant industry, uh, retail and shopping, uh, as well as event planning and whatnot. But you would expect that this trickle-down effect of less jobs, less money in circulation and spending would slowly affect the economy. But will it? Now, the last point here is we are slowly going to see the end of government wage subsidies uh, as well as debt payment deferrals. So have these benefits to society softened the blow or just postponed the economic impact? So again, the question that I'm posing here, are the markets showcasing economic reality based on what I've outlined, which include you know weak financial results from many companies, numerous public and private company bankruptcies, as well as the, aim, uh, the end of uh, wage subsidies. So uh, with that being said, I'd like to open it up to uh, Ryan or Aaron uh, to, to get your guys' educated opinion on it. Sure, Ryan, do you want to you want to start off? Sure, a few sure. Comments, yeah, I mean, you, well, you talked about a V-shaped recovery. Um, that is for sure in the stock market what we see now. Many sectors on yes. Main Street, and that's what you're referring to, really. And many sectors on Main Street are not experiencing that. And that's really the crux of the argument. So, I mean, if you look at something like retail, um, if you're a retail company and you are not on a strong footing ahead of uh, the shutdown, ahead of COVID-19, you, in many cases, are dead. Uh, but those that were on a strong footing, I, I can see if you look forward, there is a potential to survive and then thrive. Um, look at retail clothing, for example. Um, you know, despite Aaron's protest, we will continue to need clothes, <laughs> right? Um, for those that could, um, you know, those that do survive this period could come out of here and will come out of here with less competitors, for example. So, I mean, there's an example of, you know, if you were mining the store, if you had some cash in the bank, if you had decent cash flow, and if you had pivoted ahead of COVID-19, not after, if you had a significant amount of your sales online, uh, you did move, you could move more sales online. And, you know, my, my thesis would be coming out of this with lesser competition, these companies, these strong names could thrive coming out uh, eventually as we have more of a recovery on Main Street. Uh, there's area sectors. You got to look at it very individually, in my opinion, like commercial aerospace. There's a ton of uncertainty there in the near term and even midterm. So, you know, it is a sector that we watch, but, you know, you want, I think you're avoiding right now, even, you know, if you're playing for a recovery um, there's so much uncertainty. The winners and losers aren't necessarily clear right now, given the the evolving situation. And there's a number of other segments. I mean, there's segments that Aaron can talk about too that are uh, doing incredibly positively. The anything that is digitized online and 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 it, it this has been a massive impetus to drive technological change, drive businesses online, uh, virtualize businesses. Um, probably something that would have taken five to 10 years has taken three to six months. And, uh, you know, there's a huge benefit for some of the large cap. I mean, you're seeing a huge benefit in the share price of all the FANG stocks in the U S but, you know, you're seeing benefits there. So there's, it's really, um, 
sector driven there's some sectors that are doing incredibly poorly some sectors that are doing uh beyond any x of the best expectations that you could have had and then it starts to come down to valuations um you know regardless of how rosy the future looks you can't pay anything for a stock so that's why you want to have somebody looking at the markets who understands valuations and how to value a company over the long term before you're putting your money even if it's behind the hottest sector yeah, good. Well said. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on sectors as well. Um, I think we've discussed this before, and I've I've focused more on interest rates. Interest rates being literally at historic lows. I mean, we have valuations right now in the U.S. market, anyways, for the S and P that are as high as they've around around the level they were right before the Great Depression, right before the big crash in uh, in the late twenties. Um, and the second highest level. Uh, with the only other highest level, the only other time the market being more expensive was right um, at the top of the the dot com boom. Um, so valuations are obviously high, but interest rates are incredibly low. And there is an inverse relationship between interest rates and stock valuations. And one of the reasons for that is that the bond market, which is the biggest competitor for capital with the stock market is literally paying people almost nothing. Um, so you have funds, you have institutions, individuals with capital, and there's a lot of capital out there, given all the quantitative easing we've seen over the last 10 years, the low interest rates. There's a lot of capital out there searching for a home. It has to go somewhere. Where does it go? It goes to stocks. Even though valuations are high, there just isn't any better alternative or much of a better alternative. But um, we, we've discussed that before. But another thing I want to discuss just on... The topic that Ryan was talking about, about certain sectors performing so well for specific technology companies, particularly anything in cloud computing or, or anything that facilitates online commerce. The, the the COVID crisis has has been an absolute um, an absolute boom for them. I mean, when when Microsoft put out its its first quarter after the shutdown happened, the CEO said that that he saw he saw years of digitalization in just a matter of a couple of months. So many companies have done well. And I just did a quick calculation, Brennan, when you were talking about this. Um, if you look at the market cap of the S and P five hundred, it's roughly around thirty trillion dollars right now. Whereas if I take the top five technology companies, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft, together, those companies have a market market capitalization of over $7 trillion. Wow. So that's 25% of the S&P 500 just in five stocks, right? 1% of the, the stocks make up 25% of the market value. So when we're seeing these big moves in the S&P 500, they don't really reflect what's going on with the 500 stocks, they reflect really a lot of what's going on with the uh, with with the top companies um, because it is a it is a market cap weighted index. So that's a major factor as well is that we, as Ryan touched on, this is really a tale of of multiple markets. You have segments of the market where valuations are very high, where growth is strong. These companies are doing well. I mean, this has been absolutely huge for Amazon. Um, with their, with obviously their their online commerce, but they're also the biggest player in, in cloud computing. It's been huge for Microsoft, who's a major cloud computing player. Um, also provides software that facilitates a lot of this online workflow. So it's really it's really a it's really a very segmented market right now. But um, somewhat 
concerning, absolutely, that there, that there does seem to be such a disconnect. I mean, even if you look at the technology companies that are doing well, where the, where the financials are strong, you're still seeing much higher valuations that we've seen even in, in recent history. So um, does that mean we wouldn't be buyers of the market? Absolutely not. We're still invested in the market. We're still finding companies that we can buy, but we would just be more cautious. Um, we wouldn't just be piling on with everybody else and just expecting that we can extrapolate these returns out uh, into the future over whatever time horizon. You always have to be a little bit cautious. Right now, people are more greedy than they are fearful in some areas. And as Warren Buffett said, that's when you need to be a little little more fearful yourself. Yeah. And generally, given the valuations, uh, you know, it's nice to have some cash on the sidelines right now and cash if there is a time to deploy that. Now, again, we're not fear mongering at all here. If we find a company tomorrow and, you know, I know we're attending a conference with about 400 companies just to start September. If there's one or two companies there, you know, companies that we've been doing due diligence on for the past uh, month already, for example, that we like, we would not hesitate at all to deploy that capital if we think the business is trading at reasonable valuations, has growth, has a reasonable balance sheet, good management team. There's absolutely no hesitation to deploy that capital. Um, it, it may be that we have cash on the sidelines because we can't find as many of those type of investments right now. Um, it's not necessarily a call on the markets going forward. So let's uh, let's get into our Your Stock, Our Take segment. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. There's We got three stocks that were asked from uh, listeners this week, asked our opinion on. The first one we'll do is GFL Environmental. Aaron, you're going to take GFL. Lucky me, yes. So uh, an email from Marvin, he asked, he said, GFI Environmental has been in the news lately. The stock has dropped after a short report was released. Do you agree with the contents of the short report or is there an opportunity to invest on this pullback? So GFI Environmental, symbol is GFL on the TSX, Toronto Stock Exchange, is trading right now for about $25 a share. It's an $8 billion market cap company, uh, which makes it a large cap in Canada. And what they do is they're an environmental services company in North America. They provide services such as non-hazardous solid waste management, infrastructure and soil remediation, and liquid waste management throughout Canada and in 23 states in the U.S., GFL is a relatively new entrant to the public markets and it commenced trading via IPO on the TSX just in March of this year. The stock did perform relatively well over the over the five months subsequent to its IPO. It was up 36% uh, until it hit a high in early August and since then the stock has declined nearly 20%. The company was subject to a short report issued by Spruce Capital on August 17th I've not personally read this short report. GFL's not under current coverage. It's not a company that's even high on our monitor list. So I don't plan on going through this report myself. But what I have done is I did take a look at the company's financial performance and outlook to see if it would qualify for further research at Keystone. Based on what I've seen, the company would not meet our investment criteria. 
GFL is a growth by acquisition story. The company announced over 800 million US in acquisitions in June and an additional $1.2 billion acquisition in August. And growth by acquisition can be a very lucrative strategy if it is executed properly. It does appear that GFL may be trying to emulate other successful stories in their industry, such as a fellow TSX-listed company called Waste Connections that's done very well over the years. However, from our perspective, the key ingredient that GFL lacks is current profitability. They have not yet proven that their own business is profitable, and this makes a roll-up strategy very risky. It also means that the company is more dependent on raising debt and issuing new shares to make those acquisitions. In the second quarter of 2020, the company reported revenue of $993 million, which was up 19% compared to the previous year, and they reported a net loss of $115 million, or negative $0.32 per share. GFL did report adjusted net income of $0.03 per share, but this is very slim profitability. Net debt as of the end of the quarter was almost $4.5 billion, and the company announced an additional $750 million U.S. debt financing for its recently announced acquisition. So to answer Marvin's question, we do not see GFL as a buying opportunity at present. I'm in no way supporting the specific claims in the short report. However, based on the current financial performance, debt leverage, and strategic focus, we would consider GFL to be high risk, and it would really need to prove the validity of its business model before we would ever consider recommending it. Yeah, no, I think it's a great summary. Um, you know, it's a company we will continue to monitor, but uh, you know, I think the valuations, uh, even with a slight pullback there, are uh, are on the rich side. And uh, you know, as far as the short reports, just generally speaking, I, I would say. Uh, it's akin to any real research report on a company. Some offer great insight and can uncover fraud. Some are very opportunistic and based, based mainly on speculation. And others, I would say, are not worth the paper they are written on. Um, I'll give you an example. One company from our coverage, uh, True Leave Cannabis Corp., uh, was uh, short Issued a short report on it. A company issued a short report on it in December. The shares actually moved back almost 30%. Uh, we took a look at the report. Uh, we'd say there was more uh, opportunistic. Uh, this would be following in that category, opportunistic and based mostly on speculation at that point. Um, since that report and the subsequent subsequent drop in and during a pandemic, TrueLoop shares have increased over 170%. So uh, there was an initial drop based on some uncertainty. But since that point, again, the shares have done nothing but go up. And the company has repeat, repeatedly reported, I think, three quarters of record growth uh, since that period. So, um, you know, that short report, I mean, over the long term, we'll look at TrueLeave two to three years from now. It's in one of the riskier sectors. We say that TrueLeave is one of the riskier companies in our coverage. But uh, when you see from the base of that report, the stock going up 170% based on three consecutive quarters of growth, um, you know, over the next three quarters since that report, that short report has not done a good job uncovering, uh, you know, a company that was significantly overvalued. If I could add to that too, on true on that on that true leave uh, short report. 
there there was a company name that was attached to it, but there was no actual analyst names. Uh, from my understanding, I mean, I did end up reading the report. So you, like you said, Ryan, um, you know, it might not even be worth the paper that it's on. So you really have to do your own due diligence and understand, you know, that is just someone's opinion. And again, where is it coming from? Um, you know, you really got to uh, take something lightly if it doesn't have any uh, name attached to it, essentially. Yeah, and as far as we understand, it came out from Grizzly Reports. There hasn't been much of a uh, follow-up from the company. So, I mean, that would be one other thing that we look at. If you are you know have a tr- uh, short report come out, uh, continue to follow it up and provide when they come out with continued financial results go through those results and uh, say you know, continue to um, uh, hammer on why you believe that the company is significantly overvalued and we haven't seen much of a follow-up there and uh, you know that the, the company continues to report record financial results and if it continues to do that over time that typically drives the share price and a short report just becomes noise when you look back uh, you know, two to three years from now, but we'll continue to monitor it. Now we're going to move to our uh, second your stock, your stock, our take. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock, our take, buy, sell, or hold. That is on CCOM. I'm going to take that one. It's from Alex via email. He says CCOM is a company you recommended in the past. I did very well on. What is your take on it today? Well, Seacom Satellite Systems Inc., CMI, and the TSX Venture trades around $3 today, market cap of $115 million. Its yield, it pays a dividend, it's 1.8%. What does the company do? They design, develop, and manufacture transportable and mobile satellite-based antenna systems. Now, what is driving the stock? Seacom is currently developing some interesting new technology, primarily its KA band, electronically steerable, modular, conformal, flat panel phrased array antenna. Easy for me to say. The theory is with the thousands of new satellites that are going to be launched over the next couple of years from very high profile companies such as SpaceX, uh, which is Elon Musk's company, Amazon, Google, Telesat, among others. They are changing the way broadband internet is going to be delivered around the globe. Seacom can potentially benefit from this, and investors are speculating on future business. Currently, however, revenues for Q2 dropped 58% to $1.06 million. The net loss for the company was $466,000, or, under one cent, or over one cent per share, compared to a net after-tax profit of around $267 million or just under $0.01 cent per share for Q2 2019. Now, in Q2, the company continued to experience a slowdown impacted by the global shutdown. Now, the OPEC oil production dispute that uh, dampened activity of Seacom's oil sector customers spilled into the early part of the quarter as well. Let's see our take on Seacom. Seacom has a great balance sheet with roughly $14 million in cash and zero debt. That cash balance is coming down at present, however. It is a good deal of tech, current tech, and interesting future developments as well. However, the business is contract-driven, and limited recurring revenues uh, are in this business. As a result, it has low predictability. 
While the potential of the company serving a satellite boom is intriguing, it is speculation at this point. Based on current cash flows, the stock is richly valued at uh, over 50 times EV to EBITDA. Quarterly results can be lumpy and can greatly uptick on a couple of large orders, but Seacom paid its dividend out of cash in the latest quarter, not operational cash flow, which is not a great sign. The company has takeover target potential given its technology and strong balance sheet, but with the global slowdown, it will make 2020 a very challenging year for the business. It appears the price right now is based on future speculation rather than current operating gains. We monitor but would not buy Seacom at present valuations. And I think that that another thing that's important for people to understand is at the start of the show, we were discussing, well, what are the things that are driving the market um, with the markets going higher, particularly in the U.S.? Um, and even though we have so much economic uncertainty in front of us, and we identify technology as being one space that is kind of deviating from the rest of the market and driving a lot of those returns, I think is is most of those or a lot of that growth has been in the large cap space. But I also think that as the large cap companies, the valuations get higher, or and people see that the share prices have gone up so much, there are a lot of people, particularly on the retail side, that then start to speculate down the chain. They start to look for other companies related to technology or related to other larger companies that have done well um, and investing in those on a speculation that they're going to do well. Uh, no, I, I think you're right completely. And I think that that is occurring here, right? Like you're seeing that. You're seeing people... Uh, extrapolating potential future um you know if you see i mean there's news every month about spacex launching or potentially launching a new rocket into space people can easily identify with that and they can see well this company has uh, array antennas that are used on satellites and with in conjunction with satellites so this story can be made the ceo is out there talking about it and it is true they have been a leader in this segment so there is a story to be built around this that you can see the potential for future sales we don't see them right now the company is facing significant challenges in the near term the potential future is there but you know if the markets are not in an optimistic phase when we see a company having negative results we don't typically see the stock going up so this would be you know a situation where i think the business is a solid business uh and i think the balance sheet is great but the underlying fundamentals at present certainly don't justify the market cap right now and we are having investors potentially speculating on future business when that doesn't occur or if it takes five years instead of six months uh you can have some pain in the near term so that would be a company that while it is a business we like, we think the valuation you're paying for it right now is a little high in the market and a little optimistic. So those are companies that you know we would uh, look to avoid given the fact that a lot of things have to occur right for this business to be priced higher in the future. Hopefully that makes sense. Now let's go to our second Your Talk our Stock, our take segment, or this is our third, sorry. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Uh, a big week this week. Tyler via email, he asked about Yeti Holdings, Inc. Brennan, 
you yes. uh, since you and your dad are going to be using the product this weekend, you might as well talk yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, I will for sure. So uh, Yeti Holdings Inc. Y E T I on the New York Stock Exchange currently trading at a price of fifty one dollars and forty three cents and has a market cap of four point four billion dollars. So Yeti is a global designer, retailer, and distributor of premium outdoor products uh, from coolers and drinkware to backpack to backpacks and bags uh, the company's products are built to meet the unique and varying needs of diverse outdoor pursuits uh, whether in the re- in the remote wilderness at the beach or anywhere life takes its customers so the key points here is that yeti is a relatively new story they initially started in 2006 but ipo'd uh, on the market in october of 2018 at a price of approximately 17 dollars And since then, the stock has performed very well, now up over 209% uh, from its IPO price. So this strong share price performance has been driven by solid growth in the company's financials. Just to give you an idea of the company's revenue trajectory, 12 trailing month revenue for this period increased 14.5% compared to the same period last year, which ranged from Q2 of 2019 uh, to Q3 of 2018. But looking at more recent financial results, this is for Q2 of 2020, revenue was up 7% to $247 million compared to the same period last year. Adjusted EBITDA increased 24% uh, to approximately $58 million. And adjusted earnings per diluted share uh, increased 38% to $0.41 cents per share compared to $0.30 cents, uh, per share for Q2 of 2019. So the company has a reasonably healthy balance sheet with a net debt to EBITDA multiple of 1.7 times, indicating they should have no problem paying off their debt, and a debt to equity ratio of approximately two times, which might be getting a little high, uh, but I don't believe it is any cause for concern right now. On a relative valuation basis, the company is trading with a trailing enterprise value to EBITDA valuation multiple of around 24 times, which I would say is a premium price uh, for a premium retail good manufacturer and supplier. So our take here, uh, as I said earlier, uh, I can personally say that Yeti has helped me keep my beer cold on a hot day at the lake. Uh, and they have certainly grasped the title of the Cadillac of beer koozies and coolers and have secured themselves brand recognition for their high quality products. Uh, just to show you how they have priced their products accordingly, a simple Yeti utility or beach bag can cost you over $200. Their drink koozies are around $40 and their coolers range in price from $250 to $700. So pretty pricey. But ultimately, the company has been able to back up their premium products uh, and prices by generating solid financial performance in both top-line revenue growth uh, and bottom-line profitability growth. So due to COVID-19, the company has refrained from providing financial guidance for the rest of 2020. Uh, But on a trailing basis, as I said, they do trade at a premium valuation for a retail good company, and they might not have much room for additional debt on their balance sheet. As although their debt multiples are reasonable, they are getting slightly extended to the upper end of where we would like to see them. So the industry that they operate in does have low barriers of entry, which could be a cause for concern as just a quick Amazon search for coolers and koozies uh, you will find numerous knockoffs but again yeti has secured themselves solid brand recognition which is positive for the future success of the company but all in all uh, to conclude here based on their premium valuation low double digit revenue
revenue growth and slightly higher uh, debt multiples. Right now, we do not believe the company offers growth at a reasonable price. Uh, but I'll definitely be enjoying uh, my Yeti uh, koozie to uh, keep my beer cool this weekend. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, and I think the summary is Yeti, good company, you know, great success story. Uh, trading at premium high valuations does have growth, but is it at a reasonable price right now? Uh, if there is any disruption to that growth, that's when you get into a problem. So, I mean, that's the way we would look at the business. It is certainly trading at a premium multiple at this stage. Great success story. Um, do we have a margin of safety here with the business? Um, likely not, given the fact that it is trading at those premium valuations. Aaron, any comments on that? Or are you good? Well, I think that the big takeaway for me is that is that Brennan has a Yeti cooler and he's been going and out to the lake drinking beers and he hasn't invited us. But uh, you know, yeah. aside from that, I would agree with with most of what you've said. It's, it's certainly an interesting company. I mean, when I first started hearing about the coolers as a customer, I, I, I was interested. But premium price product, not a big company. I mean, five billion, so good brand recognition now. But it's not like they have. It's not like they're they're uh, an extremely dominant company. I mean, five billion market cap in the U.S. is is still considered a small to mid cap um so you'd have to worry about those knockoffs but as long as they can they can keep a a a cool brand and um no pun intended and come up with good products then you know we we would we would consider them in in the future if the valuation were to enter a range that we thought was reasonable Excellent. Well, that's going to close off our show for this week. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to keep our qu- your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment. And remember, we have an Ask Us Anything segment. So if you want to know valuations of the market, anything like that, uh, we uh, you can send your questions in for that. Um, I'd like to wish everybody a, I think we're coming up to a long weekend here, a happy and safe long weekend. Stay safe out there. And uh, I'll wish you all Going into the fall, profitable investing. Thank you. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.